1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, so follow along with me here. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. It says this, Behold, I, lie, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. Just be with me as I speak. Be with everyone as they listen. And God, as we dive into your word and talk about what it means to live a holy life, God, I just pray that these words don't fall on deaf ears, but that we can actually uh, apply this to our lives. We love you, God, and we thank you, and we praise in your name. Amen. Okay, you guys can go ahead and be seated. How's everybody's week been so far? Pretty good? Did you fall asleep standing up there, Mr. Carter? Take a sleep. That's a lie. He was lying. <laughs> All right. So um, who's had a pretty good week? Raise your hand if you had a pretty good week. All right. Who's had an awful week? Raise your hand. All right. Oh, is this because of the breakage? Yeah, I'm sorry. What else? You've had a bad week? All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you guys' weeks get better. Oh, you didn't put your hand down from the first question. I like it. Well, today we're going to go ahead and continue with our series called um, Not Our Home. You can see the graphic up on the screen there. This has been the series. Uh, we're in week three now, I believe, and we started a couple weeks ago. I did week one. Alex did uh, last week. He did the second half of chapter one. And if you've ever been to Genoa students before, this is what we do on our weekend services is we simply go through books of the Bible and we let God uh, speak to you first and foremost, which is why we read scripture at the beginning. And the good news is, is that if you ever, if you come to Genoa students on the weekends, um, if you, let's say you come for this entire series, you will have heard the whole book of 1 Peter read out loud to you, which is pretty cool, right? Um, if you were here for our James series, you, hold, you heard all of James. If you're here for Amos, you heard all of Amos. And we do this on purpose because we're trying to put a priority on Scripture, on the Word of God. So as we continue this series on 1 Peter, uh, Not Our Home, you'll see the, t the subtext there says encouragement from 1 Peter. Does anybody remember why the Christians that Peter is writing to would need encouragement during this time? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, exactly right, because they were getting killed and persecuted, okay? Do you guys remember me talking about a guy named Nero? The dude was jacked up. He was crazy. Somebody remind me a couple things that Nero did that was crazy. Josh, what do you do? Okay, let's, let's start with that one. He would skin animals, and he would take the animal skin and wrap them around Christians, and then he would send Christians into the Colosseum so that the lions and the tigers and the bears 
oh my, would follow and try to kill these Christians, okay? Yeah, that's, that's an awful thing, isn't it? It's barbaric. Yes, ma'am, what, what else? Right, he started a fire in Rome and blamed it on the Christians. If you remember, uh, the, the legend or the myth goes that Nero wanted a bigger palace and he wanted to expand his temple or whatever it was, and he looked down and realized he was kind of landlocked because all of the people in Rome, their shops, their houses, all this stuff was in his way. So what he thought would be a great idea is he says, I'm going to start a fire. I'll burn it all down. And as he's burning it down, do you guys remember what he was doing? The, the legend goes that he was standing on the top of his palace looking over, singing like a song out of half. I mean, the dude was quacked in the head. I mean, it was crazy, right? So popular opinion is that everybody's upset because, uh, you know, all their houses have burned down and they, they, want, they want somebody's head. They're like, Who'd, who's to blame for this massive fire that tore down all of Rome? And guess who Nero blamed? The Christians. Yes. He says, guys, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was those Christians who did it. And so this mass persecution broke out against the Christians where for simply saying that you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you could either be thrown in prison, killed, or tortured and then killed, or maybe just tortured. I mean, these are all awful things that were happening, okay? Give me one more thing. Yes, sir, right here. Yes. Dude, I'm so pumped these guys were paying attention. I love it. All right, yeah. If you remember, uh, Nero, in his craziness, would throw these massive parties in Rome, and at nighttime, obviously, they didn't have electricity, so Nero's great idea was, hey, let's light up the place by putting Christians on posts and burning them alive. And so at these parties, they're sitting there, you know, drinking, having a good time, uh, while Christians are literally being burned alive. All right? So, so I mean, you, you guys, you have to, if you remember, I think in chapter 1, it says that uh, Peter was, in, he was telling these Christians, like, hey, you guys may go through fiery trials, but, but, but press on, you'll endure. And what's crazy is when he's speaking fiery trials, this probably was a very literal thing, wasn't it? Like they were being lit on fire. And so, guys, back in these days, it was not, you could say that it wasn't very easy to be a Christian, right? Because for simply saying it, some terrible things could happen to you. So if this was the case, why in the world did Christianity spread as fast as it did? Okay, what do you think? Yeah. That's exactly the question. Why would, why, people were looking at these Christians and saying, what is it that's making these people give their lives for Jesus? Like, what is it? You know, why are they giving their lives? And so they would look into it, and, and their, their sacrifice of their bodies essentially proved Jesus. And people were just like, man, I, I want what they have. Like, yeah, they're going through terrible things, but man, look at the peace and the joy that they have. This is amazing. So these things are going on, and Peter decides that he's going to write a book because, as you can imagine, they probably had their highs and their lows, right? If you're a Christian, imagine that you've got some friends who were cru or, uh, murdered, right? You have some of your close Christian friends are killed for their faith, and obviously you're glad that they can live for Jesus, but you're probably sad as well, right? You ever had a friend move away? Right? It's sad when they move away. Can you imagine if your friend was murdered in the name of Jesus? These people, were pro they probably needed some encouragement. So Peter wrote this book, uh, 1 Peter and obviously 2 Peter as well. But he wrote this book as a way to encourage them to keep the faith, to live strong for God. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about um, how in, in this book here, uh, or I'm sorry, in this first half of chapter 2 that we just read, we see here that, that Peter puts an emphasis on two things that I want to talk about today, which is actually the title of my message, The Book and the Look. The Book and the Look. Turn to your neighbor and say, The Book and the Look. All right, should be easy to remember. It rhymes, okay? The book and the look. 
What I want to do is I want to talk, and I think it's pretty obvious what our blanks are going to be for points one and two, all right? But I want to, I'm, I'm specifically bringing this up because Peter puts an emphasis on Scripture that I think is very important for us to look at. And what he does is by doing so, he talks about when you put an emphasis on Scripture, when you put God's words first, what will tend to happen is it will change the way you live. And my bottom line for today, or my main point, is that the book determines the look. The book determines the look. Let me ask you this. If you want to be a Christian, what do you, what's, the best way, how do, what's the best way to know how a Christian is supposed to act? What do you think, Josh? Read the Bible. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't rocket science, right? If you, the book, meaning the Bible, should determine how we look as Christians. What the Bible says determines how we look as Christians. And what I want to kind of uh, throw out there is that I think that there is a lot of churches that probably don't live by the book or a lot of Christians that don't live by the book the way they should. And what the result of this is that they don't look the way Christ wants them to look, meaning they don't live the way that they're supposed to look. So we're going to break this down. All right, let's, let's start with point number one. And we're just going to first talk about the book, a.k.a. the Bible, okay? We're just going to say the book. Let me reread you real quick. This is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me read these to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in your salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, my, uh, my dad, my, my, growing up, my dad had one of the cooler jobs that I think uh, a dad could have is my dad was in the Air Force and he worked on the engines of jets. All right. So during wartime, like the pilots would fly into war and my dad got to stay home with all of his other guys and they would fix the engines and then send the pilots to war. Okay. And so you guys, I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you've ever seen the inside of a jet engine, jet engines are extremely complicated pieces of machinery. There, there's literally thousands and thousands of pieces that need to be in the right place. It's so important that these things are in the right place that one mistake when fixing it could actually endanger the life of the pilot. So if you're trying to put an engine together and you're trying to fix a problem and you do it incorrectly, the pilot could end up dying. So I, I go, my dad takes me to work one day and he says, hey, uh, check this out. So we go in this control room and they've got the engine sitting outside the control room and they're about to do a test on it. So they turn the engine on and the flames just shoot out of the back. And I'm just sitting there as like a little six-year-old freaking out. I'm like, this is amazing, you know. And, and, and these things cost millions of dollars to make. I mean, you could, you could just feel the power of this machine. In fact, have you guys ever seen a jet engine or have you seen a, a, a jet fly past really quickly? So growing up on an Air Force base, they would fly past all the time. And I, I was telling the kids in the last service, the craziest part is when you hear an engine and you look up to where you think it is, but it's already way over here because they're going faster than sound, right? So they'll fly past and the sound hasn't caught up yet. So when you hear a jet, you'll look up here, but it's really over there already. And you're like, oh, man. And you can, like, watch the sound. <sighs> trying to catch up. It's pretty crazy. So it just goes to show how powerful these engines are. And so my dad then takes me to the shop where they're working on the engines, and he, um, I see this guy sitting there. Um, he looked a little older than the other guys. And he's got this book open, and he's reading the instructions, and then he's fixing the machine. Then he goes back, reads the instruction, fixes the machine. And I said, I said, Dad, uh, why, is, why is he doing that? Um, has, has he been here long? Is he new? And my dad says, no, he's not new. You just, the rule here is that you have to look at the instruction manual in order to do the machine correctly. And I said, well, if he's not new and he's been doing it a while, shouldn't he know it by now? And he goes, well, I mean, yeah, he probably knows it pretty well. 
But, but it was so important for them to follow the manual so that they, they didn't make any mistakes. Now, the reason I bring this story up is because I, I want us to think of the book this way, okay, meaning the Bible. I want us to think of the Bible this way. How many, let me ask this question. Who in here reads their Bible every day? Anybody here read their Bible every day? Okay, cool. So we got more than the last service. Okay, great. But, but the reality is a lot of us don't do it every day. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I'm in this boat. I, I probably, well, not probably, I need to read my Bible way more than I do. And it's funny because when you get into reading your scripture, let me ask you, Rooster, you said you read it every day, right? If you go a day without reading your Bible, can you tell? Like, is there, is there a difference in your life? Right. That's, that's, the, that's a great word to describe it. Yeah. I, he says, he, if you didn't hear him, he said, there's an emptiness, right? And this is what happens when you, when you are reading Scripture daily and you kind of get away from it for a day or two, you just go, something's off. Like, I, I, there, there is this emptiness that comes from it. And, and it's the exact same thing, uh, or th- this is the exact problem that a lot of Christians struggle with, the same thing where they, you know, they get to a point where they're not reading their Bibles as much, and they don't even realize the emptiness that they're, that, that's in them, okay? So let, let's do this real quick. I, um, I want to ask you, what, what would you guys say is the point of reading Scripture? What, what's the point of reading the Bible? Somebody give me some answers. Yes, sir, we'll call on you. Yeah, to know more about God. What were you going to say? So you know what Jesus was like. Yeah, I mean, Josh, give me one more. Right. Yeah, these are all great answers, aren't they? Yeah, to know what you should or shouldn't do. Here, if you were to simplify this in just a simple statement, the point of Scripture is that it shows us who God is. Okay? It shows us who God is. And in response, we are supposed to try our best to be like God. All right, who in here has ever heard of this word here? This is a word called holy, all right? What does the word holy mean? Let me call on some, let me see if anybody else wants to answer. What does, what does holy mean? What do you think, Grant? What does it mean to be holy? Set apart. That was your definition last night. I like it. What do you think? Man, these are some great answers. Like, this is awesome, right? Different, I like it. Um, Let me ask you, if Christians are holy, are they different than the world that we live in? Absolutely we are. We're supposed to be set apart. This is the word that you guys said. I love it. Uh, The Bible teaches us what holiness is. The whole point of being a Christian is to try to live as holy a life as possible. Does this mean you're going to do it perfectly? No. We all make mistakes, okay? We all do, and and I'm not saying that's okay, but God knows that you're going to make mistakes, and just repent of them. But, but the Bible teaches us what holiness is, and we are supposed to do this. Holiness, holiness means you give time to God. It means you spread his gospel to people who need to hear it. We are supposed to be holy. Now, um, when, when uh, Peter talks to these guys, I, I love this first part here. Uh, tell me this. Um, verse 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Uh, this is verse 1. Do those words describe holiness, yes or no? Let me read them again. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Do those describe what a holy life looks like? Absolutely not. Yes. Somebody tell me, what's malice? Anybody know what malice is? What is it, uh, Rooster? Duke? Sorry. You're Rooster. (laughs) Well, I was calling on Duke, but I called him Rooster. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, malice. Yeah, I'd say it's hatred. What's hypocrisy? Somebody tell me what hypocrisy is. What is it? Yeah, you go up to your kids and you say, don't curse. And then you turn around and you're like, bleep, 
You know, I mean, that's, that's not good, right? You're, you are doing the opposite of what you told your kid to do. What's envy? We learned about this at winter camp. Josh, what's envy? Okay, is that what you're going to say, Isaiah? Yeah, jealousy, right? You can be envious of what other people have. So guys, when you see these words here, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, these are not words that describe holy living. These are not words that the church should be described as. I told the kids in the last service that people do not go to church and say, oh my gosh, I went to Genoa. It was so hypocritical. I loved it. It was amazing. Like, they don't do this. They don't go, man, can you believe how malicious those guys are? They are so crazy. They're so hateful. Amazing, right? You don't go to a church. These are not words that describe a church, they, or at least they shouldn't be because it's, it really is the opposite of holiness. And so I, I love that um, Peter here, he goes to, to verse 2. He says, look, all of these things here, and, and, and let's, let me just point this out real quick. You notice uh, at the very beginning, it says, therefore, putting aside all, and then he talks about these words, in my other translation here, it says, uh, therefore, rid yourselves. All right, I looked this up. The Greek word here for putting aside or uh, rid yourselves is also translated as to, to cast off or to, uh, to remove, okay? Uh, do you guys remember the story in Acts of when Stephen was first martyred? Um, uh, when, when Stephen was martyred, it says that before the people who were going to stone him with rocks picked up their stones, does anybody remember what they did first? Josh, give it to me. Man, dude, I'm, I'm amazed at how much you guys know today. <laughs> I mean, you guys, 100% of my questions you guys have answered. Great job, all right? Um, yeah, they, they took off their robes and their coats, right? So before they stoned Stephen, they took their garments off and they gave them to a guy. Does anybody remember the guy they gave them to? Leah, do you remember? Sounds like tall, but it starts with an S. Saul, yeah, yeah. And then eventually he became Paul. He literally held their coats as they stoned Stephen to death. Now, that word that, that uh, when, it, when they removed their coats, it was, it was the same word used in the original Greek here for, therefore, putting aside or get rid of. Essentially, Peter is saying, listen, there are some of you guys that you are still clothing yourselves with these sins. Some of you guys are malicious. Some of you are envious. Some of you are hypocritical. Some of you are, what was the other one? Uh, other, some of you slander. You guys know what slander is, right? A slander is one of the biggest forms of pride in that you are putting other people down so that you look bigger than them. And slander, don't you think slander happens in church nowadays? Yes, it does. I've been in youth ministry for two years now. It happens a lot, okay? And so, so essentially Peter's like, listen, you guys are clothing yourself in these sins. You need to rid yourself of these sins. Some of you guys, literally, you find comfort in the coat of your sin, right? In the garment of your sin, you don't want to let it go. But he's saying, get rid of it. Remove it from yourself. And let's look at verse 2. He says, like newborn babes, long, uh, or I'm sorry, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, I love this verse because um, I, I, uh, I forgot it again. I forgot it. I have a, this is, this is embarrassing. For three services in a row, I had this list printed out that I keep forgetting to bring. Um, so I'll just give you the highlights. Uh, when, when you have a newborn baby, um, a lot of you guys are going to grow up and have kids and don't overlook uh, when the baby is first born. It's this amazing miracle of life, right? And so I've got four kids now and every kid that was born, I was amazed at uh, just like the bonding that happened between the mother and the baby. And my first, my first child, which is my daughter, Mora, she was, when she was first born, I remember when we, we took Mora home, and I've told this story before that they, they wheel us down to the curb, 
right outside of the parking lot and the, and the, the doctor was just like all right uh have a good day and they turned around and walked away and i was like no no no, where are you going i was like we don't know what we're doing with this baby here and they i was like i can't believe they just let you leave the hospital with a newborn it's crazy so we go and my wife and i have no idea what we're doing and me i know nothing about babies my wife read a lot she did all this stuff one of the most amazing things about newborns is how dependent they are upon the mother so you guys know how it works, right? Like when a baby is hungry, the mother will feed the child with, with the milk that her body produces, and then it goes to the baby. And the crazy thing about a mother's breast milk is that it is, it's, it's literally miracle milk, okay? And here's what I mean by this, is that um, the baby, when it's born, all it needs to survive is the milk. That's it. I remember when when, when Mora was born, I looked at my wife and I said, hey, Britt, um, what, uh, have, you given it, have you given the child any water yet? And she was like, it doesn't need water. And I said, what do you mean it doesn't need water? Everything needs water. And she goes, well, it's in the milk, right? Like when, when it, it is all in the milk. It's got all the nutrients that it needs. It's got all of the, um, uh, like it, it's got all the white blood cells that help the baby heal quicker and stuff. And I mean, I, I'm like amazed by it. In fact, there was one day that um, uh, I had heard that, like, if a, if a kid gets pink eye, you can actually take mother's milk, put it in, like, rub it on the eye, and the pink eye will be gone within hours. I've also heard that when a baby gets a rash, you can put a mother's milk on the rash, and, and the rash will be gone in hours. Uh, it is crazy. And guys, listen, I've seen it. I, I know that it happens. And here's why. That stuff is all the baby needs to survive. It's all the baby needs to survive. And, and here's the thing, like, let's say that you took a, a, a bottle of mother's milk and you put water in it. Well, isn't that one of the worst things you can do is water it down, right? Because what you're doing is you're diluting it. And, and, and I love that Peter here makes this analogy because he says, look, the pure milk of the word, he says, just like newborn babies, the pure milk of the word, you need to um, long for it so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. As a baby desires the milk to grow in life, we as Christians need to desire God's word so that we can grow spiritually in life. So, remember, with a baby, all they need, besides obviously besides the mother, is milk. And we as Christians, if you want to survive and grow spiritually, you've got to have the milk, which in our case is Scripture. All right? So again, I ask you guys, are you reading your Bible every day? If you're not, then you're not giving yourself the nutrients that you need to grow spiritually. It amazes me that people think they can grow in their walk with God without daily quiet time of prayer and reading their Bible. It just doesn't work. You will not grow. You will not be a better Christian if you're not hearing from the Word of God. So Peter points this out, okay? Peter points this out. So um, let me just caution you real quick before we go to the next point. Remember, we're putting a huge emphasis on point number one, the book, a.k.a. the Bible. Be weary of people who give you their opinions more than they do Scripture. Okay, now um, what I mean by this is that, you know, as you grow older, you're going to find that um, that there are going to be people who 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 are older and, and are more mature. And they're just like, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think. Okay, it's good to hear what people think. I get it. But our source of truth should not be what people think. What you base your whole life on should be scripture, not what people think. Okay, now, hopefully the people that you're listening to, they, they are thinking what the Bible says. And that's good. These are the people you you know, you want to be around. But guys, I, I, I try to say this often, all right? I'm human. I'm prone to mistakes. Don't ever believe something about God simply because I say it, okay? You believe something about God because the Bible says it. If the Bible and myself ever contradict each other, who do you go with? You always go with the Bible, okay? 
And then you come up to me and you say, Pastor Matt, you contradicted scripture. And I go, oh, no. And then I try to correct myself, okay? But always, always, always go with what the Bible says. This is how cults begin, all right? Cults, you know what a cult is? It's these, like, groups of people who worship a person, right? The person, they, the, one of the first things that cults do is they always get you away from what the Bible really says. They say, no, it's not what about the Bible says, it's about what the prophet says, which is me, all right? So don't, don't follow the words of man. In fact, uh, check this out. I showed the kids in the last service. This is my study Bible here. It's called a study Bible because the whole top part is the Bible. But look how much study is there. <laughs> this is a guy named John MacArthur. Is, this is the Bible that he, or the, the study Bible that he put together. So look, a little bit of scripture and then a lot of commentary on what that scripture says. Is this bad? No, it's not bad. It's, it's his opinion. I think it's good. He's got some, MacArthur has some really good things to say. However, it is bad when you read this first before you read scripture. Okay, always go to scripture first. All right. So I think Peter is is telling us here, like, you know, you need to crave scripture the way newborn babies crave milk. So that's point number one is the book. All right. Point number two. It's not a big guess here. What is it? What's point number two? The what? The look. Yep. All right. Here's what I mean by the look when I say this. The look meaning what is the look of a Christian? What should a Christian look like? Let me read you 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to skip all the way to the end, just the last couple of verses, verses 11 and 12. If you get a chance to go back and read that middle part, it's, it's really good. It talks about how Jesus is this chosen cornerstone, and we are God's chosen people to, to literally become, um, he calls us living stones, and that we're being built up as the church. So I would encourage you to read that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and skip over to verses 11 and 12. Let me read these to you. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Somebody remind me why this, pa- what, what does it mean in this passage where it says aliens? What does that mean? Josh. <laughs> right. So my mom was British. I told you guys this. And when we moved to the United States, my mom had to become a legal alien, meaning she, she was living in a place that was not her home. England was her home. And if you remember, what's the theme of our series? It's called Not Our Home. Peter constantly refers to them as aliens and strangers because, guys, realize this. If you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you realize that this is not your home, okay? This is not your home. God never intended for your home to be full of sin and corruption. This is why he gives us heaven. So so just remember, this is the best piece of news because when you're having a bad day, you can say to yourself, well, at least I get to go to heaven someday. I've met, I've met people who were dying of cancer that I'm just like, we're praying for you, and they're just like, hey, I'm just here temporarily. My, my home is heaven. I'm going to be there soon. And isn't that a great attitude to have? You're just like, all right. You know, it's, it gives you perspective. So he, he calls them aliens, and he calls them strangers. And listen, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's talk about the look here, okay? The look here, set, verse 11, says um, you need to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. What are some lusts that we deal with here? Power, greed, uh, sexual lust. Like, these are all things that our souls are at war with right now. And he's saying abstain from these things. Why? Because Christians, the look of a Christian is, is, is not people who give in to these things. Okay, and I love this last part here, uh, verse 12, where he says, keep your behavior excellent. And here's the question. Why do we need to, why, based on that verse, why do we need to have excellent behavior? It's so that people will see us, non-Christians will see us and say, they're acting differently. What is it about the way that they're acting 
that is so different. Does anybody know what an ambassador is? Anybody know what an ambassador is? Somebody besides Josh. <laughs> All right, yes, Dorian, Darian. How do you say your name again? Did I say it right the second time? Darian. Good. All right, uh, what is an ambassador? Were you raising your hand or were you scratching your head? Do you know what an ambassador is? A business person. Okay, Isaiah, what do you think? Okay, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah, all of you guys, I would say, are pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah, an ambassador is literally someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. So um, you guys are thinking about ambassadors of the United States, right? It would be impossible for our president and vice president and some of our higher-ups in, in the government to go to every country and speak to them individually. It's impossible. There's just not enough time. So what they do is the United States will assign ambassadors who they will send out to these other countries to speak on behalf of either the president or, or the United States. So what they'll do is they'll go over there and they'll say, okay, we're here to uh, talk about peace, uh, peace negotiations. I'm here to speak on behalf of the United States. And so it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Like, you have to represent your country well. Um, I, I told a story that there was a, a, a couple, I, it was a couple of years ago, I think when President Obama was still president, but um, either Iraq or Iran, one of the two, we'll just say Iran, they, they came, um, their ambassador from Iran came to the United States to meet with some Americans. And when, when he got here, he, uh, he, uh, they're, they're driving in the motorcade to the White House or wherever it was. And what, what they didn't know is that there was going to be protesters there. So there was a ton of protesters that had these signs out. And they were like, you guys are murderers. And they're holding their signs out. Does anybody have any idea how Iran deals with protesters in Iran? Any, any idea? What do you think, Blake? Yeah, they, they kill them. They'll beat them. I mean, last year alone, they, they killed like 1,500 people who were just protesting, right? This doesn't happen in the United States because we have a thing called the First Amendment, right? The freedom of speech. You are allowed to say within reason what you want to say. So if you have a disagreement with our president or any of our elected officials, you can show up, hold up signs, and yell at them as they're walking into buildings. And this is protected under free speech. Well, these Iranians were not very happy about this. I guess they forgot they were in the United States. So the bodyguards, they get out and they beat the tar out of these protesters, right? So you look and they just get out there, they like snap their signs in half and they're just punching them and stuff. And the Iranian ambassador's like, get back in the car. So they get back in the car and they drive away. So let me ask you this. Based on what happened, what do you think the American opinion of Iran was after that? Was it good or bad? It was bad. We were like, look at these Iranians. They don't have freedom of speech. They beat up protesters. Now, here's the thing, guys. Let's say Iran was this perfectly peaceful nation where they didn't beat up protesters. Based on what that bodyguard did, what would be the impression? Is that they, they do, right? ambassadors represent their country, and when ambassadors represent their country well, it looks good for the country. When ambassadors represent their countries poorly, it makes their country look poor, doesn't it? It makes them look bad. Guys, this is the exact same thing with Christians, where we as Christians, we are ambassadors. We are people who represent Jesus Christ, and the problem is, is that there are a lot of Christians out there who have been very, very bad ambassadors. So when they when they claim to be Christians and they do something mean to somebody or they treat somebody with malice or, or, uh, or hypocrisy or anything like this, it doesn't just make the ambassador look bad. It actually makes Jesus Christ look bad. And this is something that we have to fight against, okay? There's a lot of people who struggle with certain sins that the church has just not handled very well. Not very well at all. In fact, I remember I heard a story once of a girl 
who got pregnant before marriage, and the church, they thought the best thing to do was to bring this girl up in front. Now, this girl had already asked forgiveness from God. She, she felt bad about the, the mistake that she had made. But the church, they said, no, 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 this isn't enough. We need to bring her up. So they brought her up in front of the church, and they just pointed fingers at her, and they made her feel terrible about herself. Okay? Is that how a church is supposed to respond? No, 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 no. That is not the most loving way to, to handle that situation. Did she commit a sin? Yeah, of course she did. She was repentant of that sin, right? So at that moment, we as Christians should have come around her and showed love to her, showed her support, right? But instead, these people who were ambassadors for Jesus Christ pointed the finger and made her feel awful, meaning Jesus Christ looked awful. That girl never went back to church again. Why? Because the only Jesus she knew was a Jesus who condemned and pointed the finger. Is that what Jesus is? No, he's far from that. And there are many stories in the Bible that show this, right? Um, I was saying earlier that, like, think about this. The tax collectors, the tax collectors were the lowest of the low to the Jewish people back then. And what did Jesus do to tax collectors? He dined with them. He ate with them. He socialized with them. He made them feel valuable because in his eyes they were. They were struggling with sin, and Jesus came and he said, look, I'm going to point out your sin, but I'm going to do it in a loving way. Okay? Guys, we have to live, we have to live as best as we can the way Jesus did. A lot of Christians aren't. A lot, look, the look, a lot of Christians do not look like Christians should look. If Jesus was there in that church, would he have gotten up and condemned and made that girl feel like a a piece of trash? No, not at all, all right? So why do we? Why do we? We need to look like Christians. Let me give you a a last example here. Anybody ever seen the movie Ender's Game? Ender's Game, have you heard of it before? Okay, it's, it's, it's a little, I guess it's a little older, but this is a movie pretty much where um, it takes place in the future, spaceships, all this stuff. It's pretty sci-fi. Well, there's, um, there's a group of kids that they get who these kids are geniuses, right? Apparently, the, 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 a child's brain can absorb so much information, and, and the movie's all about this, where these kids are super smart, they can do all this stuff. Well, these generals, they find out how smart these kids are, and they say, all right, we're going to take these kids, and we're going to use them to do simulations of war, and then we, we will do our wars based on their simulations, right? So they're teaching these kids. You know what a simulation is? It's, just a, it, it's like you're playing a video game, essentially, and you're, you're going through the scenario, and you're practicing. So what they do is these kids are they're, they're doing these flight simulations. They're, they're trying to learn different strategies on how to defeat the enemies. And over and over again, these guys, the, the older people are like, listen, these guys, these are the enemy, right? The, this alien species, they're trying to kill us, all right? So we need to, we need to like, um, we need to win this war. And so in the very end of the movie, the main character, his name is Ender, and Ender gets up there. He kind of is in control of the command center here. And so all of these people are doing what he tells them to do. He says, all right, you take the first hundred ships. You go to the left. You take the hundred spaceships. You guys are going to fly in from the right. And they were controlling the ships from their control things. And they were like, all right, this is a simulation. If we can do this, this is going to be really good. So they do the simulation, and they end up doing so well that they destroyed all of them. Like, they beat all the bad guys in the simulation, and, um, and all the adults are clapping, and they're like, great job, you guys did great. Well, Ender leaves this room, and as he's walking, he goes into this, he finds this other room where there's TVs playing, that what it, it's showing this planet that has, like, uh, it's on fire, literally on fire. And he's like, what is that? And it comes to find out that he actually wasn't doing a simulation. He was really leading these ships into war, right? They lied to him and said it was all fake, but it wasn't fake. So in this simulation, when he destroyed all these aliens, he really did it in real life. 
and 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 I think the guilt got to him. He he was like, he he told the the, the guy was like, you you won, Ender. You you defeated the bad guys. Like we we won. And he's just sitting there. He's like, I've got to live with this shame for my whole life. I I eradicated a whole species of of alien. Like, and he goes, but they were trying to kill us. This is battle, right? We killed them all first. And he goes, well, we could have done better, right? We could have tried to handle things peacefully and all this stuff. And he goes, no, 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 we won. And his statement at the end, the ender says, is he says, it, it matters how you win, right? It's not enough to just win. It matters how you win. So, so we as Christians, what you're going to do is you're going to find out there's going to be times where you're going to have discussions or arguments with people who are not Christians. And guys, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter if you win the argument. What matters is how you win. Oftentimes, you can have an argument with a non-Christian, and you can, quote-unquote, win the actual argument or the debate, but you can really lose because that person might never come to know Jesus because of how mean you were to him. I saw a debate once where this guy was like, um, he was yelling at this, this non-believer. And he was like, well, you're, you're a sinner, and this is why blah, blah, blah. And he was like going, and by all accounts, he won the debate. Like, he had, he be, had better talking points. But do you think that other person that he was yelling at is ever going to give God a chance? No, not at all. He won the debate, but he didn't win the soul, okay? Guys, it matters how we win. It matters how we win. I love that Peter ends this. He says, look, guys, he goes, the best thing that you can do is when somebody treats you terribly, what you can do is you can um, have excellent behavior when they treat you that way so that they can look at you and say, why is it that they're responding this way when I'm treating them so poorly? How does a non-Christian respond when somebody treats them poorly? They, I mean, you know, if you have, most people respond with anger, right? If, if you're treated poorly, they say, hey, I, I'm going to respond with anger. And that's what most people do, not just the non-Christian. Like, it's, it's kind of the natural thing to do. Peter's saying, don't follow your natural desires. You're going to want to respond anger, in anger. Don't do it. Respond in love. Respond in love. The best example that we have of somebody responding in love was who? Jesus Christ. Guys, he was beaten. He was dragged through a city with a cross on his back. He was nailed to this cross. He died on this cross. And at any moment, Jesus could have, I mean, he could have acted in anger and killed everybody. But did he do it? No. He responded in love, okay? So in, just in, in, in conclusion here, remember, the book determines the look, okay? You've got to give, give time and give energy to the Word of God. Make it important in your lives. Just like a newborn baby craves for milk, you guys should be craving for the Word of God. And guys, here's the thing. There's a, there's a quote that I used in the last service that says, you might be the only Bible that some people read, okay? You might be the only interaction that somebody has with God. So my question is, how do you represent God? How do you represent Jesus Christ? Are you a good ambassador for Christ or are you not a good one? Okay, these are things we need to think about because remember, if you're in your Bible, it will determine how you look and how you respond to people. All right, let me pray for you guys and then we'll break up into groups real quick and then we'll be done. All right, God, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for everybody that's here, God. And Lord, um, you know, as we, as we continue to look through the book of 1 Peter, it's very, um, it's very apparent that Peter put a, a strong and large emphasis on your word. God, the way we get to know you is through Scripture. The way we know your character is through the Bible. The way we know how you want us to act is through reading your word, God. And Lord, I pray that we don't overlook that. I pray that that's not just something that we just say, yeah, I need to read my Bible more, and then we never do it. God, I pray that we can be so dedicated and so passionate about your word that if a day goes by, we feel this emptiness that Rooster talked about earlier. So Lord, I, I pray for everyone in here that we can 
be people who are determined to grow in our faith by reading the word, then God, just naturally, when we dive into your scripture and we learn about your character, it will, it will then um, determine how we look, God. Lord, I pray that we can be ambassadors that reflect you very well. God, I pray that we're not people who, uh, we're not people who claim to be Christians and that we go and we just give you a poor representation. That's not what we want, God. So many people have been hurt by the church in the past because of Christians who represented you poorly, and I pray that that's nobody in this ministry. I pray that when somebody who doesn't know you encounters us, that they can see a love that Jesus would show, that they can see a compassion and, and just a care for people that, that your son Jesus would have shown while he was here. I pray that people come to know you through our example and through us following what your Bible says. God, we love you so much and we thank you and we praise this in your name. Amen.